is concept of God in major religions. Why have we chosen this topic? We not only need to understand and realize what God is and what are his qualities, but also, and it is very important, we need to know what God certainly is not. Brothers and sisters, to promote better understanding and integration on similarities between religions, as well as living in real harmony along with the differences, the Islamic Research Foundation presents today's talk on Concept of God in Major Religions by Dr. Zakir Naik. Auz billahi minash shaitanir rajim. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Rabbish Rahali Sadri. Wayasirli Amri. Wahlul Ugdata Millisani Yafkahu Kauli. Respected elders and my dear brothers and sisters, I welcome all of you with the Islamic greetings. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. May peace, blessings, and mercy of Almighty God be on all of you. So, non Muslims may be wondering that what was I murmuring or uttering in the beginning of my talk? I was not trying to mesmerize you or hypnotize you, but I was reciting a few verses of the Holy Quran from Surah Taha, chapter number. 20, verse number 25 and 28. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Almighty God, asks Prophet Moses, peace be upon him, to deliver the message to the Pharaoh, Moses, peace be upon him, he prays to Almighty God, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and recites these verses. Rabbish Rahali Sadri. O my Lord, expand my breast for me. Expand my center for me. Wayasirli Amri. And make my task easy for me. And remove the impediment from my speech. Since we know that Prophet Moses, peace be upon him, was a stammerer, was a stutterer. So he prays to Almighty God to remove the stammering, to loosen his tongue, as well as remove the barrier, if there is any, between him and the person to whom he is going to deliver the message. If a person is giving a talk on other religions, those people in the audience who do not belong to that religion, they may think that this person is going to speak against their religion. For example, if suppose a Hindu is giving a talk on other religions, the non-Hindus may feel that he is going to speak against my religion. If a Christian is giving a talk on other religions. The non-Christians may feel that he is going to speak against my religion. Similarly, I being a Muslim, when I am giving a talk on other religions, the non-Muslims may feel that I am going to speak against their religion. That's the reason. I'm praying to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Almighty God, to loosen my tongue as well as remove the impediment the barrier, mental or otherwise, if there is any between me and you. The topic of this morning's talk is concept of God in major religions. Religion, according to the Oxford Dictionary, means a belief in 
a superhuman controlling power, especially a personal God or gods that deserve obedience and worship. Dakari Pradashak Muhammadi, he recited two verses of the Holy Quran from Surah Al Imran, chapter number three, verse number 64, which says, Kulya Ahlal Kitab. Say to the people of the book, that come to common terms as between us and you. Which is the first term? Allah na'buda illallah. That we worship none but Allah. Wala nushrika bihi shayyam. That we associate to partners with him. Wala yattakhiza baaduna baadan arbaban minnunillah. That we erect not among ourselves lords and patrons other than Allah. Fa'intawallahu. If then they turn back. Fa'kullu shadu. Say we bear witness. We are now Muslimun, that we are Muslims bowing our will to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is the verse of the Holy Quran, which shows you a way how to speak with people of different communities. It says, That come to common terms as between us and you. Which is the first term? Allah na'uda illallah. That we worship none but Allah. Wala nushrika bihi shayyam. That we associate to partners with him. One thing common in all the major religions of the world is that the God they worship, they believe he is the same God for them as well as for the others. For example, the God which the Hindus worship, they believe he is the same God for the Hindus as well as for the non-Hindus. The God which the Christians worship. They believe he is the same God for the Christians as well as for the non-Christians. Similarly, the God, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which we Muslims worship, we believe he is the same Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for the Muslims as well as for the non-Muslims. The major religions of the world can be broadly classified as Semitic religions and non-Semitic religions. The non-Semitic religions are further divided into Aryan and non-Aryan religions. The Semitic religions are those religions that are followed by the Semites. Who are the Semites? The Semites are the descendant of Shem was the son of prophet Noah, peace be upon him, which is mentioned in the Bible, in the book of Genesis, chapter number 5 to chapter number 11. So Semitic religions are those religions that are followed by the Jews, by the Arabs, by the Assyrians, by the Phoenicians, who speak Hebrew, Aramaic, Arabic, Akkadian, Phoenicians, etc. The major amongst the Semitic religions are Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, all of which are prophetic religions. The non-Semitic religions are further divided into Aryan and non-Aryan religions. The Aryan religions are the religions followed by the Aryans, a group of Indo-European speaking community which spread in Iran and northern India in the first half of the second millennium BC, that's 2000 to 1500 BC. 
the Aryan religion is further divided into Vedic and non-Vedic religion. The Vedic religion is Brahmanism, which has been given the misnomer of Hinduism. The non-Vedic religion are Sikhism, Buddhism, Jainism, etc. Amongst the non-Aryan religions, we have those of the Chinese origin, like Taoism, Confucianism, etc. Those of the Japanese origin, like Shintoism, etc. But most of these religions, they do not have a concept of God. Therefore, they are preferably called as ethical systems instead of religions. As far as my talk today will be concerned, I will be speaking about the concept of God in major religions of Semitic and Aryan origin. To understand the concept of God, the best and the most accurate way is to analyze their religious scriptures and understand what it has to speak about God. Trying to analyze the concept of God by looking at the followers is not always correct because most of the followers, they themselves do not know what their scripture speaks about God. So let's analyze today the concept of God in major religions by analyzing their religious scriptures. First, we'll discuss the Aryan religions. Hinduism is the most popular of all the Aryan religions. And if you ask a common Hindu that how many gods does he believe in? Some may say three, some may say 33, some may say a thousand, while the others may say 33 crores, 330 million. But if you ask a Hindu learned man who knows his religious scriptures, he will tell you that a Hindu should actually believe only in one God. The major difference between the common Hindu and the Muslim is that the common Hindu believes in a philosophy known as pantheism. That is, everything is God. The tree is God, the sun is God, the moon is God, the snake is God, the monkey is God, the human beings are God. The Muslim believes that everything is God's. G-O-D with the apostrophe S. Everything belongs to God. The tree belongs to God, the sun belongs to God, the moon belongs to God, the snake belongs to God, the monkey belongs to God, the human beings belong to God. So the major difference between the common Hindu and the Muslim is the apostrophe S. The Hindus say everything is God and we Muslims say everything is God's. G-O-D with apostrophe S. If we can solve this difference of apostrophe S, the Hindus and the Muslims will be united. How do we do it? As the Quran says, That come to common terms as between us and you. Which is the first term? That we worship none but Allah. That we associate to partners with him. So let's analyze the concept of God in Hinduism by analyzing their religious scriptures. 
the most popular amongst all the Hindu religious scriptures is the Bhagavad Gita. This is a copy of Bhagavad Gita in the IRF. We have, alhamdulillah, more than 30 different translations only of Bhagavad Gita. The Bhagavad Gita says, in chapter number 7, verse number 20, that those whose intelligence has been stolen by material desires, they worship the demigods. That means the materialistic people, they worship demigods. That means not the true almighty God. The Upanishads are the other sacred scriptures of the Hindus. It's mentioned in the Chandogya Upanishad, chapter number 6, section number 2, verse number 1. Ekam evadityam. God is one only, not a second. That means there's only one God. He doesn't have any partners. He's alone. Same as the Holy Quran, which is mentioned in Surah Ikhlas, chapter number 112, verse number 1. Kul huallahu ahad. Say he's Allah one and only. It's mentioned in the Sveta Svatara Upanishad. Chapter number 6, verse number 9. Na kasya kasji janita nakadipa. Which means, of him, there's no parents, no lord. He has got no parents. He has got no masters. That means, he alone is sufficient. He is not dependent on anyone else. As the Holy Quran says in Surah class, chapter number 112, verse number 3. Lam yalid walam yulad. He begets not, nor is begotten. The quotation I gave from Upanishad was translated by S. Radhakrishnan. And we have other translations also in our foundation. Further, if you read in the Sveta Svatara Upanishad, chapter number 4, verse number 19, it says, Na tasya pratima asti. There is no likeness of him. Same as the Holy Quran, Surah class, chapter number 112, verse number 4. There is nothing like him. It's further mentioned the next verse of the Sveta Svatara Upanishad, chapter number 4, verse number 20. That his form cannot be seen. No one can see him with the eyes. Similar to the message which is given in the Holy Quran in Surah Anam, chapter number 6, verse number 103. No vision can grasp him, but he graspeth all vision. He is beyond comprehension, yet he is acquainted with all things. Amongst all the religious scriptures of the Hindus, the most sacred are the Vedas. And there are principally four Vedas. The Rig Veda, the Ajur Veda, the Sam Ved and the Atharva Ved. The Rig Ved deals with songs of praises. The Ajur Ved deals with sacrificial formulas. The Sam Ved with melody and the Atharva Ved with magical formulas. It's mentioned in the Ajur Ved, chapter number 32, verse number 3. Na tasya patima asti. There is no image of him. And the verse continues and says that he is unborn. And he should be worshipped. It mentions in the Ayurved, chapter number 40, verse number 8, that God is bodiless and pure. It mentions in the Ayurved, chapter number 40, verse number 9, 
अंधात्म प्रविशंति या संभूति अपास्ते विच मीन्स दे आर एंटरिंग डार्कनेस दोशिप द असंभूति द असंभूति आर द नेचुरल थिंग लाइक एयर वॉटर फायर एंड द वर्स कंटिन्यूज दे आर सिंकिंग मोर इन डार्कनेस दोशिप द संभूति द संभूति आर द क्रिएटेड थिंग The quotation I gave of Yajurveda was by Devi Chand, as well as by Ralph T. Griffith. The other Veda is the Atharva Veda. It's mentioned Atharva Veda, book number twenty, chapter number fifty-eight, verse number three. It says, "Dev Mahaosi, God is verily great, same as Allah Akbar." Allah is the greatest. Amongst all the Vedas, the most sacred and the oldest is the Rig Veda. It's mentioned in Rig Veda, book number one, hymn number one sixty-four, verse number forty-six. Sages call one God by many names. That means there are various names given to this one God, and the Rig Veda alone. Gives no less than thirty-three different attributes to Almighty God, most of which are mentioned in Rig Veda, Book Number Two, Hymn Number One, and one of the beautiful attributes which is mentioned in Rig Veda of Almighty God is Brahma, which is mentioned in Rig Veda, Book Number Two, Hymn Number One, Verse Number Three. Brahma means the creator. If you translate into Arabic, it means Khalik. We Muslims have got no objection if anyone calls Almighty God, Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, as Khalik or Creator or Brahma. But if someone says that Brahma is Almighty God who has got four heads and on each head is a crown, and he has got four arms, we Muslims. Take strong objection to it. Moreover, it is even prohibited in Yajurveda, chapter number thirty-two, verse number three, which says, "Na tasipatima asti." There is no image of him. Another beautiful attribute, which is given in the Rig Veda, book number two, hymn number one, verse number three, is Vishnu. Vishnu means the sustainer. If you translate. into arabic it means rob we muslims have got no objection if someone calls almighty god as rob or cherisher sustainer or vishnu but if someone says that vishnu is almighty god who has got four hands and one of his right hands holds the chakra that is the discus and one of his left hand holds the conch and he is riding on a bird or reclining on a couch of snake we muslims take strong objection to it we are going against the ayurveda chapter number 40 verse number 8 which says god is bodiless as well as upanishad chapter number 4 verse number 19 of swata swata upanishad which says na tasya patima asti there is no likeness of him it's mentioned in rigved book number 8 hymn number 1 Verse number one: Ma chidan yadi shan sata. That means do not worship anyone besides him alone. 
praise him alone. It's mentioned in Rigved, book number 5, chapter number 81, verse number 1. It says, Verily great is the glory of the divine creature. Same as Surah Fatiha, chapter number 1, verse number 2. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Praise be to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Lord of the worlds. It further mentioned in Rigved. Book number 3, hymn number 34, verse number 1. It says that he is the bounteous giver. It further mentioned in the Ayurveda, chapter number 40, verse number 16. It says that lead us to the good path and save us from the sin which makes us wander and go astray. Similar to the verse of the Holy Quran of Surah Fatiha, chapter number 1, verse number 6 and 7, which says, Ihdina sirat al-mustaqeen, sirat al-lazina namta alayhim, ghayr al-maghdubi alayhim that shows the straight path, the path of those who have earned thine favor, and the path of those who go not astray. It's mentioned in Rigved, book number 6, hymn number 45, verse number 16. Ya ik it mushtihi. Praise him who's matchless and alone. The quotation I gave from Rigved was by Satya Prakash Narayan and Satyakam Vidyalankar as well as by Rolf T. Griffith, Volume 1 and Volume 2. We have various translations of religious scriptures of various religions. So whatever quotation we give, if anyone wants to verify that the speaker is pulling a fast one, they are most welcome to come to a foundation and take a photostat copy. And all these translations which I gave to you is not done by Muslims. It's done by the people who follow that religion as well as by Orientalists. The Brahma Sutra of Hinduism, of the Vedanta, the main creed is Ekam Brahma Dustyanaste, Niyanaste Kinchan. Bhagwan Eki hai, Dusra nahi hai, nahi hai, nahi hai, zara bhi nahi hai. There is only one God, not a second one, not at all, not at all, not in the least bit. So if you read the Hindu scriptures, you will understand the concept of God in Hinduism. Let's discuss the concept of God in Sikhism. Sikhism is a non-Semitic, Aryan, non-Vedic religion. Though it has a small following, as compared to the other major religions, it is an offshoot of Hinduism. Sikhism was founded by Guru Nanak Sahib at the end of the 15th century. And it originated from the area of Pakistan and Northwest India, that's Punjab, the land of the five rivers. And this religion, which was founded by Guru Nanak Sahib, it's religion of 10 gurus. The first one who founded the religion is Guru Nanak Sahib. And the last and the 10th one is Guru Gobinda Sahib. 
Guru Nanak Sahib was born in a Kshatriya, warrior caste family, but he was very much influenced by the Muslims. Sikh is derived from the word Sifya, which means a disciple or follower. And the sacred book of the Sikhs is Sri Guru Granth Sahib. This is the book, Sri Guru Granth Sahib. And the Sikh has to maintain his five Ks. The first K is the Kesh, the uncut hair, which all the Gurus kept. The second is the Kanga, the comb, which is used to keep the hair clean. The third is the Kala, the metal or the steel bangle used for strength and for self-restraint. The fourth is the Kripan, the dagger, which is used for self-defense. And the fifth is the Kacha, the long underweight, knee length, or underdraws, which is used for agility. These 5K also help in identifying any Sikh. The best definition that any Sikh can give regarding the concept of Almighty God and Sikhism is quote the Mool Mantra, the fundamental creed of Sikhism, which occurs in the beginning of Sri Guru Granth Sahib. At the beginning. That is, of Sri Guru Granth Sahib, volume number one, chapter number one, verse number one, it's also called as Japuji, Mool Mantra. It says that only one God exists and is called by the true, the creator, the one free from fear and hatred, the immortal, not begotten, self-existent, great and compassionate. Sikhism strictly believes in monotheism and Almighty God in the unmanifest form is called as Ek Omkara and in the manifest form he is called as Omkara. And Guru Granth Sahib, he gave various attributes to this manifest form of Almighty God, Omkara and called it also as Kartar, the creator, Akal, the eternal, Satanama, the holy one, Sahib, the lord, Parvardigar, the cherisher, Rahim, the merciful, Karim, the benevolent. And he also called him as Wahe Guru, one true lord, one true god. Sikhism, besides believing in monotheism, it is also against Autarvada, the concept of incarnation of God. They are against that God can take human forms, can incarnate. And they are also against idol worship. Guru Nanak was very much influenced by Sant Kabir. No wonder if you read the Guru Granth Sahib. Several chapters contain many couplets, dohas of Sant Kabir. And one of the famous dohas of Sant Kabir is Everyone remembers God during trouble. No one remembers him during peace and happiness. The one who remembers him 
during peace and happiness, why will he have trouble? A similar message given the Holy Quran in Surah Al-Zumur, chapter 39, verse number 8. That man, when trouble touches him, he cries out to the Lord and repents to him. And when the Lord bestows him from his mercy, the man forgets that he had prayed and cried and he associates rivals to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Let's discuss the concept of God in Zoroastrianism. Zoroastrianism is a non-Semitic Aryan, non-Vedic religion, which is not associated with Hinduism and it's a prophetic religion. Zoroastrianism is also called as Parsism and it was founded by prophet Zoroaster. It's an ancient religion of Persia about two and a half thousand years old. And the sacred scriptures are the Dasatir and Avesta. The Dasatir can be further divided into Khurda Dasatir or Kalan Dasatir. And the Avesta can be further divided into Kurda Avesta or Kalan Avesta, the Maha Avesta or the Zend Avesta. This is a copy of the Avesta, one of the volumes of Avesta. And there are various other translations of the Avesta present in the Islamic Research Foundation. The Zoroastrians, the Parsis, they call Almighty God as Ahura Mazda. Ahura means the Lord, God. Mazda means wise. Ahura Mazda means the wise Lord or the wise God. And he has been given several attributes and names in the Dasatir. For example, he is the only one. He has no beginning, no origin and no end. He has no father, no mother. No wife, no son. He has got no image. He is beyond imagination. There is nothing like him. No vision can see him. He is beyond comprehension. He is closer to you than yourself. There are also other attributes given to Almighty God in the Avesta. The other sacred scripture of the Parsis, it's mentioned in the Avesta, in the Gathas and the Yasnas. He's called as the creator in Yasna, chapter number 31, verse number 7 and 11. And also in other places, in Yasna, chapter number 44, verse number 7, chapter number 50, verse number 11, chapter number 51, verse number 7. In several places, he's called as the creator. He's also referred as the mightiest the greatest in Yasna, chapter number 33, verse number 11, as well as in chapter number 45, verse number 6. He is referred to as the beneficent in the Yasna, in chapter number 33, verse number 11, as well as in Yasna, chapter number 48, verse number 3. He is referred to as the bounteous, no less than seven times only in Yasna, chapter number 43, verse number 4, 5. 7, 9, 11, 13, and 15. He's also referred as the bounteous in other places of Yasna, chapter number 44, verse number 2, chapter number 45, verse number 5, 
chapter number 46, verse number 9, as well as chapter number 48, verse number 3, he is referred to as bounteous several times. So if you read the scripture of the Parsis, you'll understand the correct concept of Almighty God in Parsism, in Zoroastrianism. Now let's discuss the Semitic religions. Major Semitic religions are Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. First, we'll discuss about the concept of God in Judaism. It's mentioned in the Old Testament. Moses, peace be upon him, says, in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter number 6, verse number 4, Shama Israelo adna ilahaino adnaikhad. It's a Hebrew quotation, which means, Yoro Israel, the Lord, our God, is one Lord. That means God is one and only. It's further mentioned in the book of Isaiah, chapter number 43, verse number 11. I, even I, am Lord. And besides me, there's no Savior. In the book of Isaiah, chapter number 45, verse number 5. I am Lord. And there's none else. And I'm God beside me who there is no one. In the book of Isaiah. Chapter number 46. Verse number 9. It says, I am Lord and there is none else. I am God and there is nothing like me. It's further mentioned. In the book of Exodus. Chapter number 20. Verse number 3 to 5. It said, that God Almighty says in the scriptures, Thou shalt have no other gods besides me. Thou shalt make unto thee no graven image of any likeness, of anything that is in the heavens above, that is in the earth beneath, and that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord, the God, is a jealous God. The same message is repeated in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter number 5, verse number 7 to 9, that thou shalt have no other gods besides me. Thou shalt not make thee any graven image of any likeness, of anything that is in the heavens above, that is in the earth beneath, and in the water beneath the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord, the God, I'm a jealous God. So if you read the Old Testament, you will understand the concept of God in Judaism that believes only in one God and is totally against idol worship. Before we discuss the concept of God in Christianity, I would like to make a few points clear. Islam is the only non-Christian faith which makes it an article of faith to believe in Jesus, peace be upon him. No Muslim is a Muslim if he does not believe in Jesus, peace be upon him. We believe that he was one of the mightiest messenger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, of Almighty God. We believe that he was born miraculously without any male intervention, which many modern day Christians do not believe. We believe that he gave life to the dead with God's permission. We believe that he healed those born blind and leper with God's permission. The Christians and the Muslims, we are going together hand in hand. But they are parting of faith. 
There are many Christians who say that Jesus Christ, peace be upon him, he was almighty God. He himself claimed divinity. In fact, if you read the Bible, there's not a single unequivocal statement in the whole Bible where Jesus, peace be upon him, himself says that I am God or where he says, worship me. I would like to repeat that statement that there is not a single unequivocal statement in the complete Bible where Jesus Christ, peace be upon him, himself says that I am God or where he says, worship me. In fact, if you read the Bible, it's mentioned in the Gospel of John, chapter number 14, verse number 28, Jesus, peace be upon him, said, my father is greater than I. In the Gospel of John, chapter number 10, verse number 29, my father is greater than all. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter number 12, verse number 28, I cast out devil with the Spirit of God. Gospel of Luke, chapter number 11, verse number 20, I with the finger of God cast out devil. Gospel of John, chapter number 5, verse number 30, I can of my own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my will, but the will of thy Father who has sent me. He never claimed divinity. In fact, he came to testify the previous law. And he mentioned in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter number 5, verse number 17 to verse number 20. Think not that I am come to destroy the law and the prophets. I am come not to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till the heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall not pass away from the law until all be fulfilled. And whosoever, therefore, shall break one of the least commandments and teach men to do so, will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. And whosoever shall keep them and teach them so, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For verily, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, in no way shall you enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus Christ, peace be upon him, said that if you people want to enter heaven, you have to keep each and every commandment of prophet Moses, peace be upon him. You have to follow each and every law given in the Old Testament, including the verses I quoted earlier, that there is one God and you should not do idol worship. You should not make any graven image of him. Jesus, peace be upon him. He never said that he was God. In fact, he said that he was sent by God. He was the prophet of God. It's mentioned in the Gospel of John. Chapter number 14, verse number 24. The words that you hear are not mine, but it's my father's who has sent me. Gospel of John, chapter number 17, verse number 3. This is eternal life, so that you may know there is one true God and Jesus Christ who thou hast sent. And it's mentioned in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter number 19, verse number 16 and 17, that when one of the person approaches Jesus, peace be upon him, and says, Good master, what good things shall I do that I shall attain eternal life? Jesus, peace be upon him, replies in verse number 17 of Gospel of Matthew, chapter number 19, And Jesus said unto him, Why thou callest me good? 
For there is none good except one, that is God. And if you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Jesus, peace be upon him, never said that if you want to go to heaven, you consider me as almighty God. He never said that you believe that I will die for your sin. In fact, he said, you keep the commandments. It's further mentioned in the book of Acts, chapter number 2, verse number 22. O men of Israel, hear this. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved by God amongst you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in your presence and you are witness. It says, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved by God by miracles and wonders which God did by him. And when Jesus, peace be upon him, was asked, that which is the first of the commandments. He repeated verbatim what was said earlier by Moses, peace be upon him. It's mentioned in the Gospel of Mark, chapter number 12, verse number 29. He said, Shama Israelo Adana Elahaino Adnaichad. It's a Hebrew quotation which means, Yoro Israel, the Lord, our God, is one Lord. So if you read the Bible, you will understand the concept of God in Christianity. It reminds me of an incident where Maulana Rahmatullah Karanvi, he was having a discussion with a Christian missionary who was trying to prove to Maulana Sahib that Jesus Christ, peace be upon him, is God Almighty and that Jesus, peace be upon him, died for the sins of human beings. After a great deal of time, Without any results, the discussion was continuing. Later on, the servant of Maulana Sahib, he comes and whispers something in Maulana's ears. The Maulana's face becomes sad. He starts crying. The Christian missionary asks, Maulana Sahib, what's the bad news? The Maulana Sahib said in a very sad tone, my servant he just gave me information. He brought news that Archangel Gabriel, he died. The Christian missionary began to laugh loudly. Maulana Sahib, you being such an intelligent person, how can you believe in such absurd things? Can angels die? The Maulana Sahib said, when God can die, why can't angels die? And the Christian missionary, without speaking a single word, he left. It's a battle of wits. Let's discuss the concept of Almighty God in Islam. The best answer that anyone can give you regarding the concept of Almighty God in Islam is quote to you the Surah of the Holy Quran, Surah Ikhlas, chapter number 112, verse number 1 to 4, which says, Say he is Allah one and only. Allah Samad. Allah the absolute and eternal. As-Samad is a bit difficult to translate. It means that he exists and he has created things when nothing existed. Everything and every person is dependent on him. But he is not dependent on any person or anything. As-Samad, the absolute and eternal. Lam yalid wa lam yulad. 
He begets not, nor is begotten. There is nothing like him. This is a four-line definition of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which is the touchstone of theology. Surah Ikhlas is the touchstone of theology. Theo in Greek means God. Logy means study. Theology means study of God. Surah Ikhlas is the touchstone of theology. If anyone wants to purchase or sell any of the gold jewelries, first they'll evaluate their gold jewelry. And for that, they will go to a goldsmith. And the goldsmith, he takes your gold jewelry and he rubs it against a touchstone. And he compares the color with samples of gold which he has rubbed at the side. And then tells you whether it's 24 karat gold, whether it's 22 karat gold, or whether it is not gold at all. It may be fake gold. Because all that glitters is not gold. Surah Ikhlas is the touchstone of theology. It's a four-line definition. If you apply to any candidate who says that is Almighty God. And if he fits in this definition, we Muslims have got no objection in accepting that candidate as Almighty God. It's a touchstone. It's the asset test. To decipher whether the person that anyone claims, whether he is almighty God or not. It's the asset test. It's the touchstone. Four-line definition. Say he is Allah one and only. Allah Samad. Allah the absolute and eternal. Lam yalid walam yulad. He begets not, nor is begotten. Walam kufu an ahad. There is nothing like him. It's a four-line definition. Anyone claiming to be almighty God, if that candidate fits in this four-line definition, we Muslims have got no objection in accepting that candidate as Almighty God. For example, some people say that Bhagwan Rajnish, Osho Rajnish, he's Almighty God. I would like to make it very clear. I said some people say Bhagwan Rajnish is God. Not Hindus say Bhagwan Rajnish is God. Because once, during question-answer time, there was a Hindu gentleman who came and told me that we Hindus don't believe in Bhagawan Dajnish as God. I have read the Hindu scripture. I know that the Hindu scriptures don't call Bhagawan Dajnish as God. I said some people call him God and Rajnish has got followers from various different religions. Let's put him to test of the touchstone of theology, Surah class. The first is, Qal Allahu Ahad. Say he is Allah one and only. Is Rajnish one and only? We know that we have several such fake godmen, especially in our country, India. He is not one and only. But there may be some people who are disciples of Rajnish and say, no, no, Rajnish is one and only. Okay, let's go to the second test. Allah Hussamad. Allah, the absolute and eternal. Is Rajnish absolute and eternal. We know from his biography that he was suffering from diabetes, from asthma, from chronic backache. And he alleged that the American government, they gave him slow poisoning. Imagine God being poisoned. The third test is, Lam yalid walam yulad. He begets not, nor is begotten. We know that Rajnish had parents. 
He had a mother and father. He was born in Jabalpur in Madhya Pradesh in India. But he was a very intelligent person. Later on, his parents became his own disciples. And in the year 1981, Rajnish, he goes to America. And in Oregon, he establishes his own town and calls it Rajnishpuram. He took America for a ride. Later on, the American government, they arrested him and put him in jail. And later on, kicked him out of the country. In 1985, when he was kicked out from America, he comes back to India and in Pune, he starts Rajnish Neosanyas Commune, which later on, he called it as Osho Commune. And when you go to Pune in the Osho Commune, it's mentioned on his tombstone. Osho, never born, never died, but visited the earth from the 11th of December, 1931, to the 19th of January, 1990. They forgot to mention that he was not given visas to 21 different countries. Imagine Almighty God visiting the earth and he requires visas. <laughs> and the Archbishop of Greece said that if you don't deport Rajnish, we will burn his house and the house of his disciple. And the last test, it is so stringent, it's impossible for anyone besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the true almighty God to pass. It says there's nothing like him. The moment you can imagine, the moment you can draw a mental picture, what God is, is not God. We know that Rajnish was a human being like you and me. He had one head, two hands, two legs, two eyes, one nose, one mouth, long flowing beard, long hair. So surely, he can't be Almighty God. There is nothing like him. And this test, is so stringent that no one besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can pass. Suppose someone says that Anil Swashnigar, you know Anil Swashnigar? The person who's known as the strongest man in the world. He was given the title Mr. Universe. If suppose someone says that Almighty God, he's a thousand times as strong as Arnold Schwarzenegger. The moment you can compare God to anyone, whether it be Arnold Schwarzenegger, whether it be Dara Singh or King Kong, whether it be a thousand times or a million times, the moment you can compare Almighty God to anyone, he is not Almighty God. There is nothing like him. This is a four-line definition given in the Holy Quran, Surah Ikhlas, which is the touchstone of theology. We Muslims, we prefer calling Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by the Arabic name Allah instead of the English word God. Because the Arabic word Allah, it is pure. It's unique. Whereas the English word God, it can be played around with. You can play around with that word. If you add a S to God, it becomes God's. Plural of God. There's nothing like plural Allah in Islam. Say he's Allah one and only. If you add a D-E-S-S to God, it becomes goddess. A female God. There's nothing like male Allah or female Allah in Islam. 
Allah is unique. He has got no gender. If you add a father to God, it becomes Godfather. He's my Godfather. He's my guardian. There's nothing like Allah Father in Islam or Allah Abba in Islam. If you add a mother to God, it becomes Godmother. There's nothing like Allah Mother or Allah Ami in Islam. Allah is a unique word. It's a pure word. If you prefix a tin before God, it becomes tin God. There's nothing like tin Allah in Islam. That's the reason we Muslims, we prefer calling Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by the Arabic word Allah instead of the English word God. But if some Muslims, if they use this word while speaking to non-Muslims, I've got no objection. Because non-Muslims may not know what is the concept of Allah. So if anyone uses God for Allah, I've got no objection. But the more appropriate word is Allah. Otherwise, the Holy Quran says in Surah Isra, chapter number 17, verse number 110. By whichever name you call upon him, it is well. To him belongs the most beautiful name. You can call Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by any name, but it should be a beautiful name. It should not conjure up a mental picture. And there are no less than 99 different attributes given of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Holy Quran. No less than 99 different attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are given in the Holy Quran. For example, Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim, Al-Kareem, most gracious, most merciful, most benevolent. He's called as Rabb, as Razik, as Lord, Cherisher, Sustainer, Provider. No less than 99 different attributes are given in the Holy Quran for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the same message is repeated. Besides Surah Isra chapter 17 verse number 110, it is also mentioned in Surah Taha chapter number 20 verse number 8. In Surah Araf chapter number 7 verse number 180, as well as in Surah Al-Hashar chapter 59 verse number 24, which says, to Allah belongs the most beautiful name. But whatever attribute you give to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to Almighty God, it should be a unique attribute. It should only refer to Him and to no one else. And if we reverse the order, it should yet point out to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. For example, I am 5 feet 11 inches tall. I wear spectacles. I live in Bombay. If someone says, that Dr. Zakir Naik, is 5 feet 11 inches tall. It's a correct characteristic. But if we reverse it, who is 5 feet 11 inches tall? You will find more than a thousand people who are 5 feet 11 inches tall. It doesn't point specifically to me. It's not unique. If you say, Dr. Zakir Naik wears spectacles. It's correct. But it's not unique. Because if we reverse it, who wears spectacles? There will be more than a thousand people who wear spectacles. If someone says, Dr. Zakir Naik lives in Bombay. He's right. But it's not unique. Who lives in Bombay? More than a million people live in Bombay. So the attribute that you give should be unique. For example, if someone says that Dr. Zakir Naik is the father of Farik Zakir Naik, 
who was born on the 10th of July 1994 in Jangir nursing home in Pune. That's a unique attribute. Because if we reverse it, who is the father of Farik Zakir Naik, born on the 10th of July 1994 in Jangir nursing home in Pune? The answer is only one, Dr. Zakir Naik, no one else. It's a unique attribute. It points out to no one but one person. Similarly, let me give you another example. That Dr. Zakir Naik is the founder chairman of IRF Educational Trust, which was established on the 6th of November 1992 in Dongri, Mumbai. If we reverse it, who is the founder chairman of IRF Educational Trust, which was established on the 6th of November 1992 in Dongri, Mumbai? The answer is only one, Dr. Zakir Naik. Similarly, if you call Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by any attribute, by any name, it should be unique. You can't say Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the creator of a building. Because even many builders can build building. You can call him the creator of the universe. Khalik, the creator. Who's the creator? Only one. Who's the ultimate creator of the universe? Only one, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ar-Rahman. Who's the most gracious? The answer is only one. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ar-Rahim, who's the most merciful? The answer is only one. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it should be a unique attribute. The example I gave of myself was unique, but nothing great. Being the founder chairman of IRF Education Trust is nothing great. It's unique, fine. It's nothing great. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, besides the attribute being unique, it is something ultimate. Being the father of Farik Zakir Naik is not ultimate. It's unique. It's not ultimate. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's attribute, besides being unique, should be ultimate. You cannot give attributes which are just common, which you and I can also do. Secondly, besides giving unique attributes, it should not be combined with characteristics which do not belong to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. For example, if someone says that Dr. Zakir Naik is the father of Farik Zakir Naik, who was born on the 10th of July, 1994, Zangin nursing home in Pune, and is four feet tall. The attribute is correct. I am the father of the person who he said, but I'm not four feet tall. I'm five feet, 11 inches tall. If someone says, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, almighty God is a creator, but he has got a human form like you and me, one head, two eyes, one nose, one mouth, two hands. The creator attribute is correct, but the characteristics of a human form is wrong. So besides the attribute being unique, it should not be mixed up with false attributes. And the third is that the various attributes that you give to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala should point only to one Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, not more than that. Because there's only one. Say he's Allah one and only. So if someone says that Dr. Zakir Naik is the father of Farik Zakir Naik, born on the 10th of July 1994 in Jangir Nursing Home, and Abdullah Sheikh is the founder chairman of IRF Irrigation Trust, which was established on 6th of November 1992 in Dongri, Mumbai. One attribute is correct of mine, but my attribute is given to another person who's not me. Abdullah Sheikh and Dr. Zakir Naik aren't the same. So you cannot say that Khalik, the creator, is one God, and Ar-Rahim, the merciful, is another God. 
If someone says that rain god is different, cloud god is different, and sun god is different, and creator is different, and cherisher is different, it's totally wrong. The attributes are correct, but it should point out only to one person and no one else. People may ask me that what is wrong in having more than one god? The polytheists they may say, Dr. Zakir Naik, what is the harm in having many gods? If we have many gods, there will be fighting between them. And each one will try to defeat the other and try and establish his rule. So people may say, see we can divide. One is a god of rain, one is a god of sun, one is a god who created, one is a god who is a cherisher. If we divide such way and have multiple gods, that means one god is unable to do the things of the other god. He does not have knowledge of the other god. It means it's a deficient god. It's not an ultimate god. And we don't want to believe in a deficient god. We want to believe in a god which is ultimate, the supreme. No wonder you find in the mythology of certain religions, god fighting among themselves. And one god killing the other god, and one god takes the help of the other god to defeat the third god. This is found in the mythology. The Holy Quran gives the answer in Surah Al-Ambiya, chapter 21, verse number 22. That it says that if there were more gods besides Allah, there would surely be confusion. And we know that there is no confusion in the universe. The universe is running harmoniously. It's further mentioned in Surah Mu'minun, chapter 23, verse number 91. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not have any sons, neither does he have any partners. If there were many gods besides Allah, each god would have taken what they created and would have hoarded over the other. So surely, there has to be only one true god. If you analyze all the religions which speak about concept of god, all of them ultimately believe in monotheism. That is, they believe in one god. Any religion which believes in a concept of God, ultimately, that religion believes only in one God at a higher level. At the lower level, there may be other gods, but at the higher level, it finally believes in one God only. If you analyze the scriptures of Almighty God, they spoke about the true concept of Almighty God. But later on, the scriptures, they got manipulated. They got interpolated. They got corrupted. Why? By people for their own requirements, to fulfill their own material desires. And later on, you have a religion which has been changed from monotheism to polytheism or pantheism. The Holy Quran says in Surah Al-Baqarah, chapter number 2, verse number 79, Woe to those who write the book with their own hands. Woe to those who write the book with their own hands and then say, this is from Allah. To traffic with it for a miserable price. Woe to those for what their hands do write and woe to those for what they earn. The Holy Quran says that people have changed the scripture of Almighty God for their own material desires. Woe to such people and woe to what they earn. 
there are certain religions like Buddhism, Confucianism, you have Taoism, which do not comment on God. Neither do they confirm nor deny the existence of Almighty God. It's called as an agnostic religion. We have other religions like Jainism, which are atheistic. They deny the existence of Almighty God. Regarding how to prove to the atheist or the agnostic the existence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you can refer to my video cassette, Is the Quran God's Word, part 1 and 2. This talk was given about two years ago in the same auditorium. Two years ago, in the same auditorium, Billah Matushri, where I've proved here to an atheist, to an agnostic, to a Muslim, Christian, Buddhist, Jain, whether he be a scientist, to all these people with reason, logic, and science on the basis of the Holy Quran, the existence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So all those who want to know how to prove to an atheist or agnostic the existence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you can refer to my video cassette, part one and part two. In Islam, we believe in Tawheed. Tawheed does not merely mean monotheism or merely meaning believing in one God. It has much more to it. Tawheed means unification, asserting oneness, and is derived from the Arabic verb wahda, which means to unite, to unify, to consolidate. And there are three categories in Tawheed. The first is Tawheed al-Rububiya. It's derived from the verb Rab, which means Lord, Cherisher, Sustainer. It means maintaining the unity of Lordship. And the basic concept here is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the person who created all the things which exist. He is not dependent on anything or any person. But all things and persons are dependent on him. He is absolute. Whereas all the other things, they are relative and they are temporary. And they are conditional. The second category is Tawheed al-Asma wa Sifat. Which means maintaining the unity of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's names and attributes. And there are basically five points in this category. The first is, Allah should be referred to according to what Allah and his messenger described him. Second is, Allah should be referred to as he has referred to himself. No one can call Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as Al-Ghadib, the angry one. The Quran says that he gets angry, but that's a quality which you cannot say the angry one because Allah and his messenger didn't give that attribute to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The third is you cannot give human qualities to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Like some scripture says that God Almighty, after creating the universe, he rested. He was tired. Some scriptures say that he repented. See, repenting, getting tired are acts which human beings require, not Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
And the criteria for this category is from Surah Ashura, chapter 42, verse number 11, which says, Laisa that there is nothing whatever like him. There is nothing whatever like him. And the verse continues, he is the seer and hearer of all things. But this seeing and hearing cannot be compared with what we human beings see and hear. Because for us to hear, we require sound waves. We require a ear apparatus. God Almighty does not require all these things. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sees and hears in a different way as compared to what we human beings see and hear. The fourth point is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's attribute cannot be given to any of his creatures. Like you can't call a human being without a beginning and without an end. A person who will not die, he's eternal. You can't give this attribute to any human being or any of the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the last point is, you cannot give the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to any of his creatures without prefixing abd. Certain indefinite forms like rauf, rahim can be given. But the definite form ultimate without prefixing abd, you cannot give. Like Abdul Rahman, Abdul Rahim. Abd means slave. Slave of Rahman, Ar Rahman. Slave of Ar Rahim. Abdullah, slave of Allah. Neither can you give this Abd to anyone besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You cannot say Abdul Rasul, the slave of the messenger. You cannot say Abdul Nabi, the slave of the prophet. The third category of Tawheed is Tawheed al-Ibadah. The Ibadah has been derived from the Arabic word Abd, which means slave, servant. Ibadah means to worship. But many people have the misconception that worship merely means offering prayers. A prayer is one of the high form of worship, but that's not the only form of worship. As I said, ibadah is derived from abd, meaning slave, servitude. So worship means any commandments you follow of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you are doing worship. Anything which you do not do, what Allah has asked you not to do, that is ibadah. So ibadah is not merely prayers, it has much more to it. Obeying the commandments of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is ibadah. Without following the third category of Tawheed al-Ibadah, which is maintaining the unity of worship, following the first two categories only is useless. Because the Holy Quran says that there were pagans, Arabs, at the time of the Prophet, who believed in the first two categories. That is, Tawheed al-Rububiyah and Tawheed al-Asma wa-Sifat. But not in the third category. And they were referred as mushriks and kafirs, idolaters, and rejectors of faith. The Holy Quran says in Surah Yunus, chapter number 10, verse number 31, Say, who is he that sustains life to you in the sky and the earth? Or who is it that hears and sees all things? And who is it that gives life to things that are dead and gives death to things which are alive? Who is it that regulates and controls the affairs Soon they will say, it is Allah. 
So why don't you have piety towards him? Why don't you worship him? A similar message is given in Surah Zukhruf, chapter 43, verse number 87, that when you ask them, who has created them? They will say, Allah. But they are far deluded from the truth. So the pagan Arab at the time of the Prophet, even they had a concept of one supreme almighty God, which they called as Allah. But along with it, they even had about 360 idols which they worshipped. So, if you worship anyone besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then you are not following the third category of Tawheed al-Ibadah. And, with the first, second or third category of Tawheed is missed by anyone, or if there is any deficiency in fulfilling any point of any of the three categories, it is called as Shirk. Shirk means associating partners. It means sharing. And in Islamic terms, it means associating partners with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The biggest sin which is mentioned in the Holy Quran is shirk, associating partners with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It does not only mean that you worship some other god, but shirk that is not fulfilling any of the three categories of tawheed leads to shirk. And the Holy Quran says in Surah Nisa, chapter number 4, verse number 48, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will never forgive associating partners to him. If he pleases, he may forgive anything else. But the sin of associating partners with Allah, he shall never forgive. The same message is repeated in Surah Nisa, chapter number 4, verse number 116 that those who do the sin of joining gods with Allah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will never forgive them. Anything else, if he pleases, he may forgive. But all those who join gods with Allah, they have strayed far away from the truth. It's mentioned in Surah Maida, chapter 5, verse number 72. That they are doing kufr. Those who say that Allah is Christ, the son of Mary. But said Christ, Ya Bani Israel, ocean of Israel, A'budullah, worship Allah, Rabbi wa Rabbakum, who is my Lord and your Lord. Anyone who associates partners with Allah, Allah will make Jannah haram for them. And fire shall be his dwelling place, and he shall have no helpers in the hereafter. The Holy Quran says that Jesus Christ, peace be upon him, said, Anyone who associates partners with Allah, Allah will make Jannah haram for him. And fire shall be his dwelling place, and he shall have no helpers in the hereafter. When I start my talk, in the beginning of it, Takari, he recited, Verses of Surah Al-Imran, chapter 3, verse 64, which says, Ta'ala wila kalmitin sawa'im, bainana bainakum, that come to common terms as between us and you. Which is the first term? Allah na'buda illallah, that we worship none but Allah. It doesn't say we believe in one and only Allah. 
believing is not sufficient. It says, Allah na'buda illallah, that we worship none but Allah. Wala nushrika bihi shayyam, that we associate no partners with him. So only believing in one God is not sufficient. You should even only worship him and no one else and associate no partners with him. The Holy Quran says in Surah Anam chapter 6, verse number 108, Revile not ye those whom they worship besides Allah, lest out of spite they revile Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in their ignorance. The Holy Quran says in Surah Luqman, chapter 31, verse number 27, that if all the trees on the earth were made into pen, and the ocean into ink, and the seven ocean to back it up, yet the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not be exhausted in writing, because he is all-powerful, full of wisdom. I would like to end my talk by giving the quotation of the Holy Quran from Surah Al-Hajj, chapter 22, verse number 73, which says, Amen. There's a parable set forth for you. Listen to it. Those whom you call upon, anyone besides Allah, they cannot even create a fly. They cannot even create a fly if all of them got together. And if the fly took away something from them, they cannot even release from it. Feeble are those who petition, feeble are those on whom they petition. To analyze the concept of God in major religions adequately for all present here today, in the limited time available, we would like the following rules to be followed during the question and answer session. Questions asked should be on the topic concept of God in major religions only. Questions not relevant to the topic, including any general questions on religion, will not be allowed. Kindly state your question briefly and to the point. We will allow one question on each of the mics in clockwise rotation. Written questions on slip papers, which are available from our volunteers on the sides and in the center aisle, would be given secondary preference after the questions on the mics are answered by Dr. Zakir and if time permits. Kindly state your name and profession before putting forward your question. May we have the first question from the lady side, please. Assalamualaikum. I'm Sabah Bakai from Delhi and my question to Zakir uncle is, the Christian concept of the God is a trinity, the Father, the Son and the Holy Ghost. But these three are one. Does this mean that they believe in only one God? The sisters asked the question that the Christians believe in Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and that they are one. Does it mean that they also believe in one God? Sister, if you analyze the word Trinity, it occurs. Nowhere in the Bible. If you search the full Bible, the word Trinity doesn't exist anywhere in the Bible. It's not there in the Bible. But the word Trinity is there in the Holy Quran. But the word Trinity is there in the Holy Quran. The Holy Quran says in Surah Nisa, chapter 4, 
verse number 171, it says, Don't say trinity. This has stopped it, it's better for you. For God is one God. It's again repeated in Surah Maida, chapter number 5. Verse number 73, it says, They blaspheme those who say that Allah is one of three in a trinity. For there is no God but Allah. So the word trinity is not mentioned in the Bible, but it is there in the Quran. And Quran says, Don't say trinity. The closest verse that you can find in the Bible, which can be taken for Trinity, is the first epistle of John, chapter number 5, verse number 7, which says, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. This verse of the Bible, first epistle of John, chapter 5, verse number 7, is the closest resemblance to Trinity, in the full Bible. But if you read the Revised Standard Version, which has been revised by 32 scholars of the highest eminence, backed by 50 different Christian cooperating denominations, they have removed this verse from the Bible as an interpolation, as a concoction, as a fabrication. It was not removed by Muslims or non-Christian scholars, but it was removed by 32 Christian scholars of the highest eminence, packed by 50 different corporate denominations as an interpolation, as a concoction, as a fabrication, because it was not there in the original manuscript. We Muslims, we should thank the galaxies of deities, the doctors of divinity, for getting the Bible one step closer to the Quran, closer to Islam. As the Quran says, Don't say Trinity. In fact, if you analyze, as I said in my talk, Jesus Christ, peace be upon him, never spoke about Trinity. That Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, they were one. In fact, he said, in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse number 28, My Father is greater than I. Gospel of John, chapter number 10, verse number 29, my father is greater than all. Gospel of Matthew, chapter number 12, verse number 28, I cast out devil with the spirit of God. Gospel of Luke, chapter number 11, verse number 20, with the finger of God I cast out devil. Gospel of John, chapter number 5, verse number 30, I can of my own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just. Because I seek not my will, but the will of thy father who has sent me. He never spoke about Trinity. In fact, when he was asked that which is the first of the commandments, he said, it's mentioned in the Gospel of Mark, chapter number 12, verse number 29, Shama Israelo, which means, Your O Israel, the Lord, our God, is one Lord. But if you ask the Christian church, in the catechism, they tell you, that the Father is a person, the Son is a person, and the Holy Ghost is a person. But they aren't three persons, they are one person. Person, 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 but not three person, one person. What language is this? 
1 plus 1 plus 1 is equal to 3. It's not equal to 1. 1 into 3 is 3, not 1. So when we ask them, that suppose there are three triplets, identical triplets. If one of them commits murder, can you hang the other? They say no. Then you ask them why? Because each one has a different personality. If one of the triplets commit murder, you can't hang the other because each one has a different personality. And when the Christian, when they think about the Father in heaven, they think like an old man like Santa Claus sitting in the heaven on one of the planets with the earth as a footstool. When they think about the Son, that Jesus Christ peace be upon him, they think of a tall man who is fair, who has got blonde eyes, like Jeffrey Hunter. You see in the movie King of Kings, he did the acting of Jesus Christ, peace be upon him, Jeffrey Hunter. They have a certain mental picture. When they talk about Holy Ghost, they think of a dove, as the Bible says, which came upon Jesus Christ, peace be upon him, when he was baptized. Or they think it like a spirit that came at the Feast of Pentecost, which is mentioned in the Bible. But when you ask the Christian that when you speak about Trinity, how many pictures do you have in your mind, the Christian will tell you one. Believe me, he's lying to you. Because one plus one plus one is three, it is not one. Hope that answers the question. Assalamu alaikum. My name is Muhammad Jawed.